please remain standing as the scripture will be read. Hi, my name is Micah, and I'll be reading the scripture. This is Psalm 129. Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. They have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed on my back. They made the furrows long. The Lord is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Let all, who, let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Let them be as the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor, who, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. Neither let those who pass by them say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you that we can praise you and serve you in a, ch in a wonderful church and that of everything you've given us, um, that you love us, as we could do something horrible and you would still love us. And we praise you for that. And you're perfect and you're loving. And we love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Funny being up here whenever, <laughs> hey Jace, <laughs> I'm going to move this forward a little bit since there aren't that many people here. I feel like I'm really far back. Um, all right, yeah, thanks um, Chris and everybody just for leading us and just for helping me out. And we just, we've been talking a lot about here just over the last couple of years and even while I'm up here right now just about different parts of the body and how, like Tim was saying, it's not about specific people or it's not about um, like yeah just not about specific people doing the same thing over and over again and that's not what we build the church around we build the church around Jesus and about around God and around his plan and his mission and so just them stepping in and seeing different parts of the body and even from a different church stepping in like we are all part of the same body so that's really cool to see um, and yeah so just kind of going from there so my name's Ian if you don't know I think I Probably, probably most people in here know that, but I think I see there's a few new people. Um, but yeah, so I am not normally up here, which is probably a good thing for everybody, honestly. Uh, I did speak a few months ago when I actually did record the longest sermon to date at point. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I did actually, uh, JT last month actually beat that. He went longer than I did. So that is actually the whole reason why I'm here today. I'm going to actually, I want to reclaim my title. So just buckle in because it's going to be, it's going to be a long, it's going to be long. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true at all, actually. <laughs> That's not why I'm up here. It is true that I did go for the longest and that JT did beat that, but it's not true that that's why I'm up here right now, and hopefully it will be shorter. Um, also, I do not have any Kierkegaard quotes this time, sadly, so just so you're not disappointed later, um, I know that I will be. Um, okay, so yeah, Psalms of Ascent, we're going through. If you've been with us, you know that the first Sunday of every month we go through the Psalms of Ascent. There's 15 of them. We kind of take a break from what we have been doing, what our normal um, church series is or sermon series is, so that's what I'm talking about. 
we've gone through that a couple times, so I won't kind of belabor that point. But anyways, there are these 15 psalms in kind of towards the end of the psalms, actually, um, that they would sing as they went up to the temple, as they went to Jerusalem to worship. And um, so I'm actually really excited, and I was pretty interested to do this one because it's something that I've always wondered about. Um, this type of psalm. So thank you, Micah, for reading it. And he said, uh, whenever we were talking before the sermon, just running down, like, kind of through everything, he was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to pray for Ian. Like, he d- he definitely needs it. So <laughs> thanks, Micah. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for reading. Um, so this, I'm kind of focusing on the back half. So I'm going to, I'm just going to read it again really quick, just so that it's kind of clear we're all on the same page. Um, so starting in verse 5, it says, May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetop, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do, these, nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So there's a few, there's actually a good amount of psalms like this, and they're called, I'd never heard this word before, um, so if you haven't, you know, that's totally fine imprecatory psalms, and that comes from the word imprecate. Imprecate, I think is how you say it, actually. So to imprecate is to invoke evil upon or to curse. And so that's this type of psalm, at least the second half of it, right? It's it's kind of like a cursing psalm, saying, may all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. And I've always wondered, like, whenever I've come across that in the Bible, it's like, well, were we supposed to pray those? Like, was that just David? David wrote a lot of these. Um, He actually... It doesn't say that he wrote this. So I don't, uh, we don't know who wrote this one. But David did write a lot of these imprecatory psalms that are like these cursing psalms. And so I've always been curious about it. Um, but it's something that I like never really, it was like one of those things I was like, oh, I, I wonder about that. And then I just never did anything about it. So, but I now had the time to do that, to look into this, since this is the one that I was um, speaking on. So I was actually really excited. Um, and so if, if you've had that question before, then you're in luck because now I'm going to talk about it. And if you haven't had that question before and you don't really care, well, it's in the Bible. So it's at least worth thinking about, right? It's at least, like, worth considering. And, like, what should we do with this type of prayer, right? What should we do with this type of psalm? And so I'm just going to go into uh, whenever I ask that question, kind of the first thing that I thought of and probably I would guess one of the first things that a lot of you guys thought of are Jesus speaking during the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read a, a pretty good section here, but I think it it speaks pretty heavily to, I think, what we think of whenever we think, just as Christians, how we should act towards people, right? Um, I think it's going to be, yeah. All right, let's go with me. Well, Joanne will take care of it. Um, so he says, this is Jesus talking during the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, and so just a really quick side note, I'm not going to get into, like, what does it mean to turn the other cheek? Like, what, it, what is all this, like, what are kind of the nuances in that? I'm just, that is just another sermon for another day. So I'm, if you're wondering about that, sorry, you're going to have to, you're kind of on your own for that one. 
I'm just not going to. There's just not enough time. Um, yeah, that's another sermon for another day. But so if we read that, right, and we think about what Jesus is saying there, that seems really contrary, right, to this imprecatory psalm because he's basically saying the opposite, right? Like he's saying, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he's not talking about like praying this imprecatory type of prayer, right? He's not talking about praying curses on them. He's talking about praying for them in love, right? So are those contradictory, right? Are those, is this psalm that's in the Old Testament, right? And then what Jesus is saying in the New Testament, are those contrary to each other? Um, And it kind of seems like it is at first glance, which is interesting, right? And so to to break that down a little bit, I wanted to look at David. So we have, David's interesting because we have kind of his biography through a few different books of the Bible, but then we also have a lot of the Psalms, and like I was saying, he wrote a lot of the Psalms, and especially a lot of these imprecatory prayers or imprecatory Psalms, he wrote a lot of these. So I just pulled out one of them, kind of Honestly, I wasn't even looking for, like, the most shocking one or anything. I just kind of was looking around, and I found this one. It's Psalm 58. Uh, I'm just going to read part of it, verses 6 through 9. And he says, O God, break the teeth from their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. And he's speaking here of those that he has dubbed the wicked. Earlier in the psalm, he said, Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. So, yeah, I mean, he's using pretty strong language there, right? Like, let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Like, those are probably things, if you're saying those things on (laughs) on a daily basis to people, like, those are things that we... Don't really say, right? Those are very, very strong words. Those are very strong images that he's using. And so so we have that, right? We have these imprecatory psalms. But then we know it says David is supposed to be a man after God's own heart, right? So again, is this contrary? Is what David is saying contrary to what Jesus is teaching later? And I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I, I don't think that it is. But why? I think there's a story that is helpful for this. So in 1 Samuel 24, we have this story of whenever David is being chased by Saul. So Saul, if you're not familiar, Saul is the current king of Israel, okay? And David has been anointed as he's going to be the next king of Israel. So God has said, hey, you know, I made Saul king. He rebelled against me. I'm going to make this guy David king. Saul knows about that. He's mad about it. He's chasing David, and he's trying to kill him, right? So David and his men are hiding in this cave in the wilderness. And they're out there. They're in this cave. Saul goes into the cave. David has the chance to kill him. He doesn't kill him. He actually even cuts off. He gets so close to him, he cuts off, like, a little piece of his cloak just to show that, like, hey, I could have killed you, but I didn't, right? And whenever people ask him, whenever people ask David, like, why didn't you kill him? Like, our lives would be a lot easier if you did because he's trying to kill all of us, right? He says, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, meaning Saul, because he is the Lord's, he is the Lord's anointed one. So we see David writing these imprecatory psalms, but then also he has this chance here to make his life a lot easier, right? Like he has this chance to kill Saul. And Saul is a powerful guy, right? Like he is the king of Israel. So it's not just like one random guy that's trying to kill David here. He is 
this powerful man, the most powerful person in Israel, and he's using all of that power to try to kill David. Like, he has armies going after David here. And so the people with David are like, why didn't you kill him? Like, he's trying to kill you wrongfully. You're totally within your rights to kill him. You're totally within your rights to take vengeance and to do what you need to do because God has already said you're going to be king, so why not just kill him, like, get it over with, he can be king. You know, it'll just, it'll just, it'll just work out great. And, but he doesn't do that, right? And it's not that he's scared. I mean, David has, he has killed a lot of people. Like, he killed Goliath. He cut off his head whenever he was very young. Like, this isn't a guy who's, he's, he's not a wimp. Like, he's not just shying away from that. But he restrains himself from taking vengeance into his own hands. And he stops that because, basically, he sees God's plan and he trusts that God's plan is going to be better. And so he sees that he doesn't have to take that vengeance into his own hands, right? Like, he sees that God is going to take care of him, and there's no guarantee, right? Like, it's just interesting reading these stories because hindsight, it's kind of like the, the, um, I forget, the armchair quarterback uh, syndrome, where it's like, it's easy, you know, hindsight is 20-20. It's easy for us to look at it, this, and be like, oh, yeah, well, it's good that he didn't do that because, you know, Saul was appointed, and so he shouldn't have killed him and everything. But, like, if you're David and this guy's trying to kill you, actively trying to kill you, if you don't kill him, there's a good chance in the future that he's going to come back and kill you later, right? Like, so David is really trusting here that God's going to protect him and God's going to take care of him and that he is, that God is going to make David king later. Um, but it's not guaranteed at all. I mean, from, like, a physical kind of normal life standpoint, it is not guaranteed at all that David is going to live to be king, right? Like Saul has all the power, you know, in the kingdom. And and so he really is trusting that God's plan is better there. And so what we have is, and what I kind of want to break it down into is we have David writing these imprecatory psalms of like kind of this big picture view of like, God, would you take justice over your enemies? Will you you know, bring justice and make the things happen that you want to happen. But then in his personal life, he, as an individual, is not taking that vengeance. He's not putting that on himself, and he's not taking that as something that he needs to do of of basically, like, fixing his own life and making it easier for himself, right? And so, and that's what I want to, that's kind of where I'm going to go with this is, like, there's this big picture, and that's kind of more of where the imprecatory psalms come in. Uh, but then we have this individual picture. And if we go back and look at the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus was teaching, that is more of an individual's acting towards individuals. That's that's what he's talking to right there, right? And so I want to break those down a little bit. So first I'm going to talk about the individual side and, like, this personal side. And for me, there's this picture that's been pretty helpful. I don't even know where I got it from. Um, but I, I kind of have this picture of, like, following God and living the life of a Christian. I think is it's kind of like, like, bear, mi- bear with me, but it's kind of like being, like, this sponge, like, this, like, pain sponge. Like, we're able to absorb and we're able to, like, take this pain in a way that I think a lot of people can't. And in a way that's, like, really hard, right? And I'm not saying that we need to go and we need to, like, search out pain or we need to go find it. But, I mean, I think all of us can attest that it pain comes into our lives, right? Like, hard things and hurt comes into our lives. And whether that's through things that we do or whether that's through other people, 
there's always pain around us, right? And, like, whenever I was thinking about this, um, I was thinking about, like, one one time in particular where one of my friends, she just got really mad at me, and I was kind of like, whoa, like, I don't, I, it was for something I didn't really feel like I deserved. I was like, I don't think you're right. I, all these things that you're getting mad at me about and you're kind of accusing me of, I don't really feel like, you know, what you're saying is true. And I don't know, we just disagreed, right? And she was kind of coming at me. And my first thought and my first, like, not even thought, right? My reaction is to get defensive. And my reaction was, like, get defensive and be like, hey, actually, you're not right. You're wrong about all these things. So, you know, like, what about that, right? And they kind of, like, turn around and flip it, right? But, and it's so easy to do that. I mean, it, it really isn't even a thought. It's a reaction. We re- that's the way that we react. Whenever we get hurt, we, it's so easy to flip that back on people around us or whoever's doing that to us, right? But, like, God gives us the ability to just to soak that up and just be, like, just kind of take the hit. Like, kind of absorb that and just, you know, just forgive those people and for in those situations just just take that and just absorb it and again not that we have to go search that out but just that whenever those things do happen that we can just say like okay like that wasn't right I don't feel like that was right but do what we can and I'll read a verse later but just do what we can to be people of peace to like bring the the peace and the forgiveness back into relationships and it's hard, right? It's really hard, but I think that's pretty powerful. Um, And I think it's a better way, right? It's a healing way. Like, that offers healing into those relationships. If you just fire back, then it's going to be hard to come back into that relationship. But if you can kind of, like, take that, absorb it, and not take it on a personal level, but just say, like, you know what? God's got me. Like, it's really, it's okay. I don't need to fight for my personal rights. I don't need to. If I'm embarrassed, if I am, uh, my pride is hurt, you know, I don't need to, like, push back on that, then that's going to change the relationships we have, and it's going to change the way that we live. Um, yeah, and, and I think that that's hard, and so if that doesn't work for you, actually, I have another uh, little picture here, just, I was just thinking about it, and it kind of made sense to me. Um, so President Harry Truman, he famously had a desk on, or not a desk on a sign, a sign on his desk that said the buck stops here. So the if you're not familiar, there's this phrase, pass the buck, which is essentially like pass the responsibility. And it comes from like a old like Wild West kind of poker thing. Uh, I looked it up, but it's just kind of interesting. But um, it's basically passing the responsibility, right? And so if you say pass the buck, you're like passing the responsibility to somebody else. You're kind of saying like, hey, I don't know about this. I'm gonna, you know, whoop, like give this to somebody else. And what he, he had this sign, right, that says the buck stops here. And he was basically saying, anything that comes to me, I have to take care of it. I'm responsible for it. So I'm going to make a decision. Whatever decision I make, that's going to be the final say on it. And then whether that goes good or bad, I'm going to take the consequences of that, right? And so I was kind of thinking about what if we did that in, like, a kind of with the same thing as the pain sponge. It's like, what if we did that with pain? Like, that every we just decided... Like, as a congregation, we decided that we would kind of have that, of, like, this mentality of, like, the, you know, instead of, like, this buck of responsibility, right, we have this, the buck of pain stops here, right? Like, what if we had that is is just kind of like a personal slogan or, like, kind of a, a personal mantra. And I do think to some degree that's what God calls us to do. I think, like, that's what Jesus is saying in the Sermon, of the, in the sermon on the Mount is that 
he's saying, like, don't get it even with people. That's not the way that I want you to live. I want you to live in this way to be, like, cycle breakers, basically, right? Because there's this, there's this saying, and it's kind of cliche now, but hurt people hurt people, right? I remember, uh, I don't remember specifically, but I remember thinking about it. I think I heard that first in high school or something, and I was like, oh, wow, it's pretty real. And like, oh. You know, like, hurt people hurt people. And it's true, right? And that's why it's a cliche is because it actually, there's a lot of truth to it, right? And so why does that happen? Why do hurt people hurt people? And it's just what I was talking about before is, like, whenever we get hurt, and it, it's easy to say, like, oh, I would never do that. But I think we can all look back. Like, if we're honest, I think we can all look back on our lives, and there's times where we've been hurt, and then we laugh back. And it's just the easiest thing to do. We literally don't even have to think about it. It's our first reaction. And God, I think, calls us to break those cycles. He calls us to be, to kind of, like, take that in and then to not push it back out onto the people around us. And ultimately, we can do that because Jesus is, like, that ultimate cycle breaker, right? Like, he is the ultimate sponge, right? Where, like, he was perfect, he had no sin, and then all, everything, all of the pain, all of the sin got poured onto him. And all of our sin, like individually, all of your sin, all of my sin, all of that pain that comes along with that got poured onto him on the cross. And so that's ultimately why we can break that is because we've already been forgiven. We're free. We're not condemned by anybody. So anything that anybody says against us, we are not condemned by that. We can know that in Jesus we have forgiveness and that we have been forgiven. He and he's already taken that. And like I said, I mean, I, I'm not saying this is easy by any means. I'm just saying I do think that this is what we're called to do. I do think at an individual level here, right, because that's what we're talking about, the individual acting towards other individuals, I do think that that's what we're called to do. And, again, there's a lot of nuance there. There's, you know, there's times wherever it's not time to just take that pain. There's there's a lot of time for, like, confrontational conversations. I think that that's absolutely true. Not just saying you should just take everything and not say anything about it. Or there aren't times where it's good to stand up. But I think in this general sense, what God calls us to do is to humble ourselves and to trust him with our rights and not to take those rights and not to, like, grab those rights for ourselves, but to trust him with that. Um, and so that's kind of on the individual side, right? is that we, he calls us to humble ourselves and basically to trust him, right? And so on the other side, we're talking about, so that's, <laughs> that's over here. Um, we're talking about this, like, bigger picture, right? This imprecatory psalms, right? And so at the beginning here, right, it's saying, like, greatly, this is verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 129, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. So, the me here is Israel, right? It's not one single person. Even though one single person wrote this, they're writing it on behalf of Israel. And a lot of this, the imprecatory psalms that David wrote, he's writing it on behalf of Israel, right? Because he is one man, but he's also the king of Israel. So he's kind of this stand-in for the people of God at that time. And so it's coming from this bigger picture here, right? So whenever... We're talking about individuals. It is more of this call to humble ourselves and to turn the other cheek and to not return evil for evil, right? Which all the things that Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. But then we're talking about this bigger picture. It's this is not 
a a vindictive prayer against personal hurts, right? But it's a prayer for God to prevail against his enemies and the enemies of his people, which is the church. Like, we are his people, and he's going to protect us. So I want to just read that again of, like, these imprecatory prayers, they're not a vindictive prayer against personal hurts, but it's a prayer for God to prevail against his enemies and the enemies of his people, right? And so, and that's a good thing. Like, that's a good thing to desire, and it's a good thing to wait for and to yearn for, is that God is going to bring justice, and he is going to do it in a way that is much more pure than we ever could, right? Like, we all like, I mean, we all like to think that our version of justice is, like, the definitive version of justice, right? I mean, I think it's really easy to get into that mindset of, like, okay, yeah, everybody else doesn't know, but, like, I know. Like, I I really know what justice is. I know what good things are. If Basically, like, if I was running the world, like, things would be better. Things would be different, right? Or, like, if I was God, things would be better, right? Which we might not always say stuff like that, but if you don't, I mean – I just think it's uh, it's something that's really easy to slip into. It's a really easy mindset to have, just to think that your version of justice is I- absolutely correct. And that, I mean, I'm just going to say, I don't think that that's true. Like, <laughs> probably for all of us, that's not true, right? So, like, not to burst anybody's bubble, but, like, God's version of justice is correct, right? And if we, that's, like, something that we as Christians have to absolutely agree upon is that, our views of justice are not the absolute views of justice and that God's is. And so we need to trust him. We need to trust that he is going to bring about pure justice and that we can trust that he's going to do that at some point, right? He promises that he's going to do that. And so all that being said, I think Christians can pray these imprecatory prayers. Like I think these prayers are things that we can pray today. But I do think you have to have a lot of discernment, right? Remembering that like it is about God's glory and it's about his plan, right? And it's about what he calls right and wrong, what he calls holy. And it's never, it should never be about our personal hurts. And if you're ever praying like a vindictive prayer or just feeling that, you know, vindictive feeling against somebody and like really like <laughs> God smite them, you know, that. that's not really biblical. Like, that's not what this is, right? But if you have a, just a sense of injustice, right, which I think we all do to some degree, and you have that, and you see that, and you see things are broken, and you see things broken inside yourself, and you're just like, man, I just wish things were better, and like, I want God to heal things. That's a good thing. That's something that God gave us, and that's where these prayers come from, right? And I think we actually we already do, I think, pray these types of prayers. Like, if you think about the the Lord's Prayer, it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is essentially an imprecatory prayer, right? Because what you're praying inside of that is, like, God, bring your kingdom, what it's like in heaven, down to earth. But that's not a seamless, that's not an easy transition, right? Because God can't exist in the same space as sin, as, like, unholiness. And so there's going to be a lot of changes and he he tells us what those changes are going to be um, through different parts of the Bible. But, I mean, especially in Revelation, we see, like, th- it's not going to be an easy process, right? And so whenever we pray, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're essentially praying, like, bring justice. Like, bring your goodness and wipe out evil, right? And that's, it's, it's a weighty prayer. But I think God asks us to pray that. And he, he. I mean, he does. He tells us to pray that way in the Lord's Prayer. But I think, too, that 
there's maybe a reason why the Lord's Prayer there is so general. Like, we're just saying, like, God, will your will be done, because a lot of times we don't even know what that means. Like, we get confused about justice. And, I mean, th- there's so many, and I think the world is always like this, but in our culture, there's a lot of different opinions on what right means, what, right? Like, what what is ethically right? Or what is justice, right? And most people have a pretty strong opinion on that, but it's funny because we don't agree on that at all, right? So there's, there's, if, I mean, there's at least two sides to it most of the time, and a lot of times there's a lot more than that, right? And so what God is calling us to is just to trust him, not even to pray something specifically a lot of time of like, God, will you make this thing happen? Because Sometimes we just don't know. Like, things are confusing. We don't know what true justice is, but we know that he does. And so the Lord's Prayer is just saying, like, God, will you just make things right? Like, will you just bring your heaven, what, what is your kingdom in heaven, will you just bring that to earth? And that's a good thing to pray, right? Um, and so as we kind of have that individual piece and then we have that bigger picture piece, I think that's just one of those tensions that comes from following Christ and that comes from being a Christian, right? Like, so in our personal lives, we're, we're called to, like, turn the other cheek, right? And to never take vengeance into our own hands. But then we, at a high level, like we are, we're anxiously awaiting for him to judge the world and to make things right, right? And, and we can. Like we, like I said, he says that he's going to do that, and he is a God of justice. And I have a couple verses here. I mean, you could pull so many verses, right? But I kind of want to just back that up a little bit. So I have one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. From the Old Testament, I have Isaiah 61, 8, and it says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. And then from the New Testament, I have Romans 12, 17 through 19, which is, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of, in the sight of all. If possible, so, so, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, right? So that's kind of that individual part. It's like, don't repay evil for evil, like, Whatever you can do, so far as it depends on you, just live peaceably with people, like love people, right? And then he says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So I love that verse because it kind of take it kind of bridges the gap between those two things of like the individual part. And it's saying like, do whatever you can to live peaceably, right? And do not pay repay evil for evil. And never, and even he says, never avenge yourselves, right? But then he does say, leave it to the wrath of God, right? And he says, vengeance is mine. So as Christians, it's not this idea of we, and like soaking up that pain, like I was talking about earlier, it's not this idea of just saying, well, it's not, it's not a problem. It's totally fine. Like we don't just kind of put on this facade and be like, oh, well, nothing hurts me. Like everything's totally fine. You know, it's, I, lo- I love it that this person is being a jerk to me right now, right? Like w- we don't say that. We don't say like, this is totally okay. But what we do say is, like, what we say is that God is going to take care of this. And like I said, he's going to do that in a more pure way than we ever could, right? And so whenever I was thinking about this, I was thinking, and I do this fairly frequently, I think. So maybe not everybody can relate to this quite as much. But I feel like if I'm having an argument with somebody, right, or we're, like, having, like, a discussion, and then it kind of gets heated, and then we're arguing, and... There will come a time where there's, like, a closing remark, right? So the other person will say something, and you can kind of tell. There's silence afterwards. You can kind of tell, like, okay, they're done. They kind of said everything. 
And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't agree with that, but, you know, whatever, they're wrong, and it's fine. And I'm just, you know, I'm just going to take the high road on this one. Like, I'm just, just going to be the bigger person here. And I'm sitting there, but then I'm like, there's something in my head that just says, like, yeah, but that's not right. Or, like, that's not, that's not correct. That's not just. And I'm, like, sitting there, and I'm like, yeah, it's not right. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, hold on, you know, and then I just, like, you launch back into it, and you're like, actually, this is why you're wrong, and, you know, and you should feel like you're wrong, because you are wrong, right, and it's like, that's not very helpful, right, in those situations, it is normally not very helpful, um, but I, I, that feeling, I think, of, like, this isn't right, or that's not just, not that all the times we think that that's true, because a, a lot of the times, we're just straight up wrong, right? But there are certain times where things happen to us that we don't like, but and it's not right, right? But what he's saying and what God calls us to do is to leave that to him, right? To never avenge ourselves, but to leave it to the wrath of God, right? And that's what we're called to do. And that, I'm again, not that that's an easy thing, that it's very hard on a personal level and like on a big level, it's hard to trust God with that, but that is what he calls us to do. Um, and also, I just want to kind of another caveat here. I think there are definitely times where he calls up, he calls us to stand up for the oppressed, right? Like he says, pure religion is like standing up and taking care of widows and orphans, like people who can't take care of themselves or who can't stand up for themselves. I think we are called to do that in a lot of ways. But I think where that shifts is if it's something where like you're embarrassed or, you know, or you just figured out you were wrong and then you're like having this cognitive dissonance and you're like, ah, shoot, and then you're kind of lashing out, right? Those things that, or, or, you know, maybe you feel like you're not getting what you deserve, whatever it is, those types of injustice, those things, that is absolutely not our job to fix those, right? Even if, even if what is happening to us is legitimately unjust, right? We're, we're not called to go in and fix those things. It's just not what we're supposed to do. And what I was thinking about that is, um, so I, I was just kind of thinking about it, and I was like, what, what is that like? And I was thinking it's kind of like if we, so like you all drive on Mopac, right? And it's like if you're driving on Mopac, and you're like looking around, and you're like, man, this is dangerous. This is crazy. Like, I don't even know. I honestly have no idea what the speed limit is there. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like the Wild West out there. Like, and uh, nobody knows, right? But if you if you were like, this is dangerous, <laughs> looking especially at Andrew, <laughs> he's <laughs> definitely pushing the speed limit. I don't know <laughs> wherever he is, he always is pushing the speed limit. But if you you know if you see Andrew like drive past and you're like, man, this is dangerous. Like, I'm gonna fix this, right? So you you somehow figure out what the speed limit is on Mopac, and then you get out there and you like. I don't even know how you would get this, but somehow you got it. You get a radar gun, right? And you're out there, and you're on Mopac, and you're, like, clocking people with this radar gun. And you start trying to pull people over, right? Because you're like, this is dangerous. They're going above the speed limit. That's against the law. It's wrong, right? And you start doing that. Like, first of all, you know who's going to be mad at you is, like, the people that you're trying to pull over. Because that's, like, that's not going to work, and it's just not right. But you know who's also going to be mad at you is the people who have the authority to do that, right? Is like... Cops are not going to be happy that you're out there trying to do their job, right? That is not, it's just, you do not have the authority to do that. And you might not be incorrect. Like, there might be people that are going very far over the speed limit, right? But the fact is, you don't have the authority to make that call and to bring that justice. And so, even if you're not wrong, you are using, like, 
you're applying that incorrectly and you applying that justice because you don't have the authority to do that is incorrect. That's it's it's wrong. Right. And so that's kind of like a small, silly example. But that is what we do with God. Right. Because he says, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. But kind of what we hear is like whenever somebody does anything wrong to you, it's like, yeah, you can you can tell them you're wrong. They're wrong. You know, you you're like. I don't trust everybody else, but, like, I trust you to, like, push out my vengeance, right? And it's, like, that's not – it's just not true, right? And, and so that's kind of – I want to push the absurdity of that idea that we can be the arbiters of God's justice. And, yeah, you might be right. They, there might be injustice going on, but if it's, like, a personal hurt to you, we are – God says you do not have the authority to bring justice there. And and then that's just what it is. That's That's who – that's putting ourselves in our rightful place, and it's trusting God to put to be in His rightful place, right? To bring that justice and to bring that authority. Um, I just have a, a little verse uh, or two verses here from James. It's one nineteen and twenty, and it says, "Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger." Right? And we've all heard that, right? And the verse after that says, "For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God." And I think it's easy for us to think that our again, like. Maybe not everybody's, but, like, our anger produces the righteousness of God. And it, it's just not true. Like, that is just, yeah, it, it's easy. I get it. Like, it's easy to think that way. But it's just not the reality. So, anyways, leave that to God. Like, let him. He has the authority to bring that wrath, and he has the authority to bring that justice and that judgment. And he's going to do that. And we just need to submit to that and just to trust that he is going to do that. Right? And so... Again, kind of just to reiterate, we have this, like, kind of individual lives that we're called to live, and we're called to humble ourselves, right? And we're called to love because he first loved us to the individuals around us. Maybe that's people that we don't necessarily get along with or people that rub us the wrong way, but that's what he calls us to do. But then big picture, like, we are called to really to yearn for that justice and for things to be made right, right? Like in Romans 8, it talks about, like, all of creation is groaning and is waiting for God to make things right, is waiting for him to come back and to bring all that justice because things are messed up and things are wrong, and that and that's just the world that we live in, right? And so all, all of this stuff, it's all, it's really easy to say. Like, it's, you know, it's easy for me to stand up here and just be like, ah, yes, this is what the Bible says, go do it, right? But, like, I mean, I, it's it's all hard. I'm, I'm not saying any of this is easy. I'm just trying to, well, one, I wanted to answer that question of, like, should we be praying these types of prayers, or can we, I guess? And I think the answer is yes, we can pray these imprecatory songs because it is just yearning for God to bring his goodness. But at the same time, it's not saying that we're going to bring that or we're going to take that vengeance, right? But, it's, but it is hard, and I get that. And so, like, what, how can we trust God to do that? How can we trust that, like, we can leave our rights to him because he is going to bring justice and he is going to do that perfectly and i think there's a lot of ways but one of the reasons yeah one of the reasons that we can do that and one of the i would say like proofs or kind of memorials for that is just look at the church like and i want to go back to the first two verses again where it says greatly have they afflicted me for my youth let israel now say greatly have they afflicted me for my youth yet they have not prevailed against me right and that is I mean, essentially, like, that is the story of the church, right? Like, great have they afflicted me, but they have not prevailed. 
and like sometimes throughout the history of the church, even if you're just talking about um, from Jesus till now for the last 2,000 years, right? There's been a lot of affliction. There's been a lot of persecution. And sometimes that comes from inside the church, and sometimes it comes from outside the church, right? It's not always just like we're, as Christians, we're being persecuted. I mean, I think we all know, probably at a personal level, we all know too well that sometimes the hard things come from inside the church. And it's like those relationships or it's, you know, like the people inside the church that are causing the problems, right? And we can feel like, and if you look at history, I mean, it's like over and over again throughout church history, it feels like God's church is losing. Like, it feels like God is like, are you sure you have this? Like, is it, are you sure you're going to take care of this? But, like, over and over again, just the institution of his body, of the church, I mean, really has been kept strong for the last 2,000 years, right? Which is crazy. And I have this quote from St. Augustine. I'm not going to read it, but... Um, he just talks about how that's been going on forever, right? Like you have, at the beginning, you have like Adam and Eve, and you have Cain and Abel and their struggle, and then you have Noah, and you have, you know, everybody else in the world is not following God, but like his church, his people is Noah and his family, right? And he brings them through that, through the flood. And they're just, you know, like you have Israel and Egypt, and then there's like the Babylonians and the Persians, and then you get to Jesus, and Jesus is persecuted by his own people, right? And there's just, and then, like, after Jesus, it's like, you have the Romans, and, like, and the early church was persecuted so many ways and so many different times by the Roman Empire, and, and just all throughout history. You can just walk all the way through, and I wish I had more time to go through, like, individual stories, because there are just some really crazy stories in church history, and I think it's valuable. I think, I would encourage everybody to go just learn more about church history. It's something that I really want to learn more about and something that I'm very interested in because I think it's easy to feel like we are, and especially like at point, it's like we do talk about, you know, we have our church body here, then like we're part of the Austin church and we're part of the global church, right? And, and I think that's helpful just to remember that we are part of this movement. But we're also part of this historical church that you can go back and it's like this lineage where we can look through of and like we are a part of this really powerful um, just like ancestry going through, I mean, you know, like century after century, right? And uh, there's a lot of incredible stories. I mean, even if it was like what Chris was sharing, like there's a lot of incredible stories out there. It, Throughout all different points of time, I think you can always find that, and you can always find that God's working. And it's powerful not because of the people, but it's powerful because of what God is doing, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I really like church history. I think it's really interesting, and I think that it's just a powerful thing to remember what we're a part of and remember, like, where we come from as a church. And, like, the point of all of that is that God has said, right, whenever he's, uh, whenever Jesus is here and he's talking to Peter, he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, right? And so historically, we can look, and it's like there are times where it seems like the church is going to be prevailed against, but it's not. Over and over again, God has kept his church, and we are a part of that. So it's like as long as we are trusting him and we're submitting to him, we he's going to keep us. And like no matter what is afflicting us, he's going to make sure that, like, nothing will prevail against his body, right? And so because of that, kind of the big picture because of that, we can, like, 
in different ways, just like Jesus did, we can sacrifice ourselves, right? And even if, if you look through history and even in different parts of the world now, there are people who lose their lives and who sacrifice their, their entire lives, right? But we're called, I think, here specifically in Austin, maybe not necessarily to that, but we're called to sacrifice individual things. But we can trust that God's going to take care of us in the big, like, death sense. But we can also trust that he's going to take care of us in the little sense. And part of that, again, this is just one small example, is, like, looking at this lineage of the church and this, like, really rich history that's there. So, yeah, I would encourage everybody. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you're not all just going to go do that. But uh, church history is interesting, and I do think there's a lot to learn there. Um, yeah. So, okay, so just kind of wrapping up. Uh, and I know that's kind of like a lot, but I want to answer that question of like we are, I think, meant to in different ways to pray that God's justice would come. But then on the other hand, to live, you know, the way that Jesus calls us, us to live and to as individuals love other individuals. And so I wanted to just give you something like concrete to think about as we respond. And part of it is just like. How do you handle hardships or pain or injustice, right? Because it's easy to talk about, but I want to just, like, let that, like, as we kind of have this response time or this time to think, it's just, like, how do you handle that, right? Like, whenever somebody does something to you personally, how do you handle that? Whenever you see these injustices or you see these things that you know are wrong in the world, how do you handle those? Like, are you trusting God or are you, like, bringing that under his power and just saying, well, you know, and, and giving that to him? Or are you trying to, like, take that into your own hands? And I know that's hard. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy at all. But, um, yeah, so just in this time, I just want to encourage you to, like, ask that. And just I think we're going to have a little bit of time just, just to ask that and just to ask him, like, where am I with that, right? And, like, I think the band's going to come up and play. But just just to be thinking through that and just, just asking him and then um, just listening and responding to whatever he, whatever he brings up whenever he tells you. Um, so, God, yeah, I just, I thank you that you are justice, and you are just, and you do love justice, and you're going to bring goodness to the world, like, you're going to heal things, you're going to make things better, and I thank you that we can trust that, I thank you that we can know that, and because of that, we don't have to pull that for ourselves, that we don't have to try to fight for every single right, and we don't have to, like, claw our way into certain rights or like into feeling important or into feeling like we're better than other people because we know that you are ultimately going to make things right and then we know that you love us and we know that you care about each each of us individually and you know exactly what we need you know what we need better than we do and so i just thank you that you know all these things and so we can trust you because you are loving but you are also good and you are righteous and we know that you're going to bring that justice. And so I just I just thank you for that. I thank you for just the truth. And, yeah, I just pray that you would just speak to all of us and just help us to be open to whatever you, you want to speak to us and whatever you want us to do.